First John chapter 5, and uh, this morning I want to read the last four verses. I'll start at verse 18 and read down through the end of the book, verse 21. These are God's words for us, the privilege that we have to have this book in front of us, that we might know the God of this book. And here's what God says. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come. And has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. We acknowledge this morning that there is no word like your word. Every word of yours is true. It's living, it's active, it's powerful. And so our prayer this morning is that we look, as we look at just a little bit of your word, that you would be present with us and that certainly you would cause us to to understand these things but that you would also cause us to love these things so that we would love Jesus. Help us, Father, for we ask this, in fact, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this is our last uh, um, time in 1 John. Our plan, Lord willing, next week is to begin a segment of John's Gospel. We'll begin in um, verse in chapter 13 of John's Gospel and go through chapter 17. It's that what normally is called the upper room discourse. It's on the eve of Christ's death and crucifixion and uh, the, the, uh, the vital instructions that he gave to his disciples upon his soon departure. And uh, uh, I was drawn to, the, to, to that section simply because... Um, well, I think that we're going to find a lot of what John has been telling us these last months. We, we, we'll see where he got it from. Uh, and uh, he was standing on the shoulders of Jesus as Jesus taught his disciples. Now John has, has taught us through the things that Jesus has taught him. I would also point out, uh, speaking of what's next, is our summer scripture memory passage will be from that segment that we'll be in. Particularly, it'll be in a, a portion of John chapter 15. So I think it's the first 11 verses. Uh, my brain's fuzzy on that, but John 15, 1 through 11, will be our summer scripture memory verse as a church family. So I would encourage you to, to just begin particularly looking at that segment and, um, and uh, trying to place those words of our Lord upon our hearts and minds. Well, this morning... To, um, to finish up our time in 1 John, two things I want to say. Um, they, these will be disproportionate points. 
Um, the first point will be the longest, so uh, if, if you're kind of trying to do the math with a, cal- with a clock, uh, it, 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 you're, you're going to get stressed. But we'll spend more time on the first point, verses 18 through 20, the, the conclusive things to remember. Three things that we'll see there, one in verse 18, one in verse 19, and one in verse 20. And, and then uh, verse 21 gives us the crucial thing to resist. And while we could say more about that, we'll probably just simply have run out of time by then. And so we'll, we'll say some things about verse 21, that last point. So the conclusive things to remember. I say conclusive. The word conclusive, if you look it up in the dictionary, it means convincing. And certainly, certainly that's true of what I'm going to say. But I mean conclusive just in the sense of uh, these three things that he says in 18, 19, and 20 are, are things that he is going to be summarizing, that he, has, that he has taught us, that he has shown to us uh, throughout this letter. And so as he is concluding, he is, he is giving us three bullet points of, uh, in conclusion of summary statements. And, and these three things are, are meant to be realities in our lives. Because first of all, they are realities that you and I need. If our lives are to be altered because of the gospel, there are three realities that are in 18, 19, and 20 that we need to grab a hold of. If we are to experience the kind of Christian transformation that the Scriptures speak of, then, then, then we, will, we will have to see our need for these three realities in verses 18, 19, and 20. And, and yet the wonderful thing is, is, that, is that these are realities that we need, and yet what John has been telling us is that these are realities that we have in Christ, that thus our lives will be altered because of these realities. Uh, 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 we can experience this, this description of Christian transformation, as we gather here this morning, a part of what we need to make sure we leave out of here with is that the best thing that we have going for us is that we are joined to Jesus. And being joined to Jesus, John concludes this book by reminding us of, of three truths, three realities that he has driven home to us throughout this book. And, and yet, an impediment in my life and in your life and in our lives, an impediment to this kind of Christian growth and transformation, which should just be routine or, or normal, I should say, is, is, is an impediment is what I would call amnesia or forgetfulness or ignorance. John doesn't want us to be amnesiac or forgetful or ignorant. And so he wraps up this letter by, by quickly restating three truths, re, three realities that are vital for us to understand and to grasp so that we would live it out. You see, an important part of my growth and your growth as followers of Christ, those of us who name the name of Jesus, is that you and I live in light of what we know. 
What we know or what we don't know uh, has a huge shaping influence. Uh, How we have been taught, what we remember, uh, what we implement practically. If if we don't know, if we don't remember, if we don't implement, we will not be altered or transformed in our Christian experience. We will be Christian in name only, perhaps, but we won't be Christian in terms of true spirit-drenched transformation because we don't remember, because we don't know. The kind of missteps that we are apt to practice in our lives in, in profound ways are shaped by our amnesia, our forgetfulness, our ignorance. For instance, most all of us know how to associate the gospel, what Jesus came and did with forgiveness before a holy God. It is so vital to know that. It is so crucial that we not forget that. It is necessary that we not be ignorant of that. And yet, and yet the gospel, what Christ has done for us, and this is not to in any way denigrate the notion of forgiveness, but the gospel is much, 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 much more than we have been pardoned from our sins. And yet for many of us, we, we live in harmony with the notion of the gospel has come, we are forgiven, and now there's this huge gap until we wait to what the gospel does next, and that is it takes us to heaven one day. And both forgiveness and heaven are wonderful realities, but but there is no gap in our gospel. There should be no gap in our gospel. We cannot be amnesic about what's in the middle. We, We cannot be forgetful about what's in the middle. We cannot be ignorant about what's in the middle. And what's in the middle is the wonderful, beautiful things that that John summarizes that that are now true of us, that are now the realities that we get to live in, that, that is meant to alter our lives and to transform us into being a different kind of people. So these three things, verse 18, just, and, and, and there's nothing new here in that sense. Verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. We, we know that no one born of God continues to sin. You say, well, when did John spring that one on us? Well, he, he says in chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. He says in chapter 3, verse 6, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. He said to us in chapter 3, verse 8, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. So he summarizes, and he just simply says, here's the short and skinny of it. He's like, you mean like, I could have just waited until today to show up? You know, no, it's, it's important to get what we got prior to now, too. But we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Now, now don't go further than what this is saying. This is not saying that if we're a true child of God, we will, we will never sin. John teaches us about that as well. He says in chapter 1, verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. He says in chapter 1, verse 10, that if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and, 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 and his word is not in us. 
Or he says in chapter 2, verse 1, sure, he says, I write these things to you that you may not sin. And then he turns right around at the second part of chapter uh, 2, verse 1, and says, but if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. No, what he is saying is that when you and I come to put faith in Jesus, the first realm of the first relationship that gets changed is our relationship to sin gets changed. We are no longer bound and enslaved to sin. We've now been set free from its bondage and its corruption. Now, now that doesn't mean that it's never lurking around to tempt us and to lie to us. Oh, it's still there. We still are in need of of God's forgiveness and to seek that forgiveness and and yet and yet we are we are now in a different place in regard to our relationship with sin. Verse verse 19 we know that we are from him and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And going back he says at the end of verse 18 um, that but he has been born of, uh, but he who has been born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. And so verse 19 at the latter part of verse 18 verse 19 there's a second thing that we're to know here and, and that is that we know that, that we are of God and while the whole rest of the world is still under the power of the evil one we are no longer under the power of the evil one. I mean, that's, that's huge. You see, another, another change of realm of our existence, another change of relationship. Our, our relationship to sin is no longer what it is, used to be. Our relationship to the devil and to this world is no longer what it used to be. Again, it's not anything new. John told us back in chapter 2, verse 13, I am writing these things to you because you have overcome the evil one. He says, and also in verse 14 of chapter 2, I write to you because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. He says in, in chapter, chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world and, and this is the victory uh, that, that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except he who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? There's there's been a realm change not only in regard to our bondage to sin, but there's been a, a realm change in that we are no longer under the control of the devil who is in control of this world. And then he says in verse 20, another summary statement a third realm change, a third relationship change. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given understanding so that we may know Him. So, it, it, interesting interplay, so that you know a couple of things, but the reason you know a couple of things is so that you get to live experientially in relationship with Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Again, this is not, not anything new that he, has, that he has said to us. It's just a summary statement all the way back in chapter 1, verse 3. And, and, what we proclaim to, we, and, and this we proclaim to you that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Whoever has the Son, chapter 2, verse 23, uh, has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. In what, and if what you heard abides in you, uh, then you will abide in the Son and in the 
Father, and this is the promise of eternal life. Our relationship to sin has been altered. Our relationship to Satan in this world has been altered. And our relationship to Jesus and his Father has been altered. Now, the first two have been altered negatively. In other words, we're no longer under the sway, the dominion, the power of sin, nor the devil, or this world. Uh, and the, but this third one is positive. We, what, we have now been brought into a saving relationship with the, the, with the Father and with His Son. You see, all of these things are relational because you know what? You and I live out our lives, which is quite relational. And you know what the gospel has done? It doesn't just grant us forgiveness and then we wait around to heaven. The, the gospel has right here, right now, altered, altered what's going on in our lives in this present realm of existence so that our relationship to sin has been changed. Our relationship to uh, the devil and this world has been changed. And praise God, our relationship with God who now is our Father, has changed. These relationship changes are meant to be the basis of our spiritual transformation, of of, of the alteration of the way we think and the way we feel and the way we choose and the way we relate to everyone else and everything else. So look, look at the contrast if you're here this morning and, and you're, not, you're not living in that relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, then you are still in bondage to sin. You are not in control of your life. As much as we delusionally might think we are, we are not in control of our lives. With, without Jesus, we are still in deep bondage to sin. Without Jesus, we are not in control of our lives. We are under the sway of the devil, and we are still um, uh, oriented to think and sink and in harmony with the world. Without Jesus, we are still without any sense of true hope, for we are without God. See, there's a very contrasting reality of of if we belong to Jesus and if we do not belong to Jesus. And that's why I said earlier, the greatest thing we have going for us is if we gather here dependent upon trusting in Jesus. These three relationship changes and realm changes, these three three realities and truths are are, are not braggadocious moments for ourselves, but they are are reasons to give praise to our God that, that we get to see Him in all of His lovely beauty, that what he has done for us in the gospel has altered our lives because it's, it's transformed us from one realm and set of relationships to a whole other realm and set of relationships. And so you and I will live. We will live in light of what we think and what we know and what we remember. These are conclusive reminders summarizing aspects of our salvation, of our new birth, that we are not bound to sin, that we are not controlled by the devil, 
but we are in fact joined to the one true God. That's, that's meant to alter where we go from here this week. That's meant to, to, to change and adjust how we see things and how we respond to those things and how we engage those things. Our Christianity is, is not simply, well, I've been forgiven, and now I guess I just wait here for heaven. If that's what you believe, then that's how you'll live. And your life will not experience any transformation. And the sad reality of that is you have forgotten. Or you were ignorant to start with in terms of what God has done for us in Christ by His Spirit. So that this day, this morning, this week, this present life is, has a chance to walk in relationship with God as our Father. And out of that it ought to shape everything else about us. Three weeks ago, I started listening to a book on tape. I probably should go ahead and pick up the book and read it now because it's such a, a powerful book. Um, but it was a struggle to get through it. It's a, it's a book about a gentleman named Louis Zamperini. The book is entitled Unbroken. In fact, I would encourage you to join the St. Charles City County Library summer reading program, and maybe that'd be the first thing you'd check out and read that. It's a story about, maybe you've known, because the book's been out for a while. There's even a movie um, about it. But It's about a young man at age 19 years old. He was incredibly gifted to run. It, 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 and he, he was in the 1936 Olympics running the 5,000 and 1,500-meter races. He was arguably going to be the first American to break the four-minute mile. But then World War II came. And so there wasn't a 1940 Olympics or a 1944 Olympics. Or... But he was enlisted in the Air Force and became... Uh, uh, a part of a, a flight crew of, of bombers. And in April of 1943, as his, as his uh, plane, uh, along with a crew, was, was out on a search and rescue mission looking for another downed plane, their plane went down. And for 47 days, him and two other... Well, when the plane hit, many of the crew were killed instantly. Three survived after 30 days, the, the, one of the gentlemen survived, but they were in the middle of the, of the Pacific floating around for a sum total of at least Louis and one of the other gentlemen's 47 days with no resources uh, to survive. On the 47th day, they were rescued hmm, by the Japanese. And he was then entured, 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 put in a prison camp uh, for an almost two years. And this was the part where it was a struggle to keep listening, to hear what he had went through on those two years, the kind of degradation and mistreatment, heinous mistreatment. 
the kind of mistreatment that, that certainly chips away at your own sense of human worth and dignity. It gets in your head. And I, it's just like, I mean, I'm such a wimp. I'm thinking I'm experiencing post-traumatic stress syndrome just reading about the, the descriptions. It's more than I can take to read it. And in 1946, with the end of the war, he came back home. And um, they didn't call it as such, but he came back home with post-traumatic stress disorder. And for the next three years, under the guise of he was bent on raising money to get himself back to Japan because there was one prisoner of war commandant, or that's not a commandant, but head of the camp that, he, that was particularly brutal toward him and that he was bent on getting the funds necessary to go back to Japan and to track this guy down and to enact revenge, to kill him. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I, I mean, let me, I'll buy us both a ticket. Of course, I wasn't even born then. But, but I'm getting sucked into the feeling of this, of what he has gone through. And yet, and yet what also, for those next, from 46 to 49, while he was attempting to raise the money to go exact revenge, he was simply destroying his own self. And in 1949, he heard the gospel. In 1949, every chain changed. In 1949, when he met Jesus... Revenge dissipated. Forgiveness swelled up in his heart. He wrote letters. And in fact, later on, even got to go to the camps where the the prison guards kept him and brutalized him. He got to go and meet them and face-to-face grant them forgiveness. He never never met the, the chief guy who in the story is just called the bird, the monster, He never met him. He attempted to. He wrote him letters. He attempted to meet with him, not to kill him. But in his letters, his intent was that he might know of Jesus and turn and trust in Jesus. Now, why do I say that? I say that to say, I've I've not walked a hard life. I've I've not walked a path of mistreatment and suffering where other human beings seek to purposely inflict harm to me and to attempt to undercut my human dignity, I'd not. And so, on the one hand, I, it's hard for me to speak to some of the beautiful realities that the Scriptures describe. I can just describe them to you as one, at times, looking at them from a distance. And yet, Louis Zamperini can speak to us about the life-altering, life-transformation that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ brings to us. That insofar as we grasp these things, that we see them, that, that we are no longer bound to sin, that we are no longer under the sway of the devil and his dominion over this world, but we have been joined to a good father through his son, Jesus That is meant to alter our hearts.
And so then there's one crucial thing to resist. Verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Knowing the first three things he's mentioned, 18, 19, and 20, are, are crucial but we are not merely thinking creatures. We, we, could, we could grasp these things on some intellectual level. Truth is vital. And yet we are more than thinking creatures. We are worshiping and loving creatures. So whether we live this way or that way, it's certainly, it's certainly influenced by what we know, but even more foundationally, how we live and how we think and how we feel and where we go next is not simply rooted in what we know intellectually, but it is rooted in who or what we worship. Who or what we love the most. And so John concludes by reminding us of three things, but then underscoring, if you would, the chief thing. Where is our hearts? As our minds are being renewed on the truth of God's word, then where, who or what are our hearts worshiping? And he puts that forth by the language of an idol. Because an idol addresses the issue of worship. It addresses that what is at the center of our lives is either God or a false God. What is at the center of our lives that defines the core of our identity is either God or a false God. I mean, we might know a thing or two about these three things that I mentioned in 18, 19, and 20, but they won't fully shape our lives if someone or something else is operational in place of God. If he is not our truest worship, if, 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 if he is not the one who engulfs our deepest affections, if he is not the one who marks out the utmost aspects of our identity, then even though we know a thing or two about it, we will still live under the sway of the devil. We will still live under the bondage of sin. And we will still live as though we have no father in heaven. See, there's a whole host of things in our culture today that wish to swap themselves out and replace in our affections for God. For some, it's their gender. For others, it's their ethnicity. For others, it's their nationality. For others, it's their political philosophy. For others, it's their party persuasion. And you know what? Those are all aspects, structures of our life under God. And those are all, in one shape or another, maybe even gifts from God. But none of those can, are to emerge to the place of being more important than God to us. In fact, it's only as God be his utmost in our affections do we have the wisdom 
Do we have the ability? Do we have the desire to know how to understand gender and ethnicity and nationality and political philosophy and party persuasion and so on, so on, so on, and so forth? Whenever we elevate anything above God, we are functioning untethered from God, who alone is life-giving, who alone is soul-satisfying, who alone gives us peace and joy and strength and wisdom and, yes, all things that we need to live and to navigate this life, this side of eternity. So this week, let's guard our hearts from idols. Let's resist the impulse of this culture with its infatuation with anything and everything but the one true God, Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how your word teaches us. And Father, we gather here this morning, and even in the song that we sang earlier, all I once built my life upon all that this world reveres. Father, may we leave out of here happy for Jesus, happy in Jesus. May we leave out of here wanting to walk in the way of Jesus. May we leave out of here rooted and grounded and built up in the faith and overflowing with thankfulness. For those who have never turned to Jesus, Father, I pray that you would open their eyes, that they would see Jesus this morning. And for the rest of us who have perhaps turned to Jesus, may we now continue to walk in him. For we pray this in Jesus' name.